think that's it. Um, so we are going to continue in our sermon series called All In and exploring what it means to say yes to Jesus. Um, and, and what is stopping us from going all in with, with Jesus, And which is nothing new. When we look in the New Testament, we see that uh, all of his uh, disciples, all of them except for one and then uh, his mom and Mary Magdalene, they all abandoned him at the cross. So they were somewhat confused about Jesus. So being confused about Jesus and should I go all in and I put parts of me in but not completely going on all in with him. I mean, it's something that people have been wrestling with for a long time. And so they abandon him at the cross, but then they go all in after the resurrection. They had seen him raised from the dead and they go around the world and they plant churches and they write the New Testament. And now Christianity is the largest faith in all of the world. So these men and these women who were somewhat afraid of going all in with Jesus at one point in time, you know, they, they said yes finally and, and have transformed the world that we live in. And so we're exploring what did these people know, be, and do to go all in with Jesus. And so uh, the first topic that I explored was community, that we do this together, that this is not something that we do alone, that we need other people in our lives. We need one another to accomplish this. And then I spoke about uh, spiritual practices, that we don't just surf huge waves right out of the get-go. We, we need to learn how to practice and, and surf smaller waves and, and, and do spiritual practices that help us. And some of the practices that we looked at were upward practices, meaning our relationship with God, and then inward practices, things that we do together, and then outward practices that we do in terms of our mission or living within a world that's not following Christ. And so this up and in and out so that we need to practice. And then uh, last week, uh, Professor Craig Smith spoke, which I heard was an excellent uh, sermon um, and so today we're going to be talking about believing and obeying. Um, and we're going to be looking at the book of Romans, but it's not, we're not going to do like an in-depth dive, um, but we're just going to look at certain parts of it. It is Paul's, what most would regard as being his greatest work, and it's very complex, yet at the same time very straightforward. This is how he starts it out. Romans uh, 12, uh, verses 1 through, uh, or actually, oh, sorry, this is Romans 1, 1 through 6. I messed up on that, sorry. Uh, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. So Paul's kind of lining out what it is that he's going to demonstrate through the book of Romans in that God has given the apostles the authority to tell everyone what God has done so that they will believe and obey. So this idea of believing and what are we believing uh, and then what are we obeying is certainly a part of going all in with Jesus because we're believing in him and then we are obeying him. 
So chapters 1 through 11, Paul defines essentially the gospel. So he starts out, and then through chapters 1 through 11, he talks about the gospel, that Jesus was born as a king into King David's family. Jesus lives a sinless life. Jesus takes our sin, takes our death, and defeats death. And if we take his death, we get his life. We are now new creations in Christ. So if we're going to summarize 1 through 11, it's essentially the gospel. Jesus comes down. He dies for us. We're now new creations in him. And if we believe, then we have been transformed. We are now in Christ. And so in chapter 12, essentially... Uh, he tells us how we might obey. So chapters 1 through 11 are what we should believe, believing in Christ, believing the gospel. And then we get to chapter 12, and it's how we will obey, what that actually looks for uh, or looks like. And so we're going to look through uh, chapter 12. It's going to be a little bit of text, but uh, we'll make it through. All right, so therefore, in light of... Uh, what God has done through us uh, in Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special, special function, so it is with, God, with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach them well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. <clears throat> Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Uh, don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all. So we believe Jesus is who he says that he is, and that's chapters 1 through 11. Again, that's the gospel. So how do we obey? What does it look like to obey? Um, again, when he writes this out, it's that they would believe and obey, that we would believe and obey Christ. So in chapter 12, he breaks it down like this. Give your body as a holy sacrifice. Don't think you're better than others. Use your spiritual gifts. Don't just pretend to love others. Bless those who persecute you. So this is, in part, what it looks like to believe and obey. 
And essentially what he's asking, have you been touched by God's love for you? Demonstrate it by the way that you live. So how do we practically live this out? What does it look like in our day-to-day lives? How do we live out believing and obeying Christ? So when Paul is writing these things, um, I, I, I think it's funny. I think it's easy for him to say, one, he's single. He has no kids, does ministry stuff full-time, and just basically sits around and writes the Bible. They're like, okay, Paul, uh, that's cool. You get to do all of these things. Uh, How does that work out for me, right? So how does that, what does believing and obeying look like for someone who's a janitor or for someone who's a banker? Because obviously they're not doing the things, Paul, that you're doing. And again, you're single and you have no kids and I go home to teenagers. And, you know, how does this all work out? Uh, Or if you're a stay-at-home mom, how does this work out when you're a stay-at-home mom? How do we live out believing and obeying with normal jobs when a majority of our time is spent doing the things Uh, that we have to do. I think that part of the problem is that we often judge the value of our vocations based on what we do, right? Like what I do. Uh, I'm I'm a banker. I'm a janitor. I work at a pizza shop. I work at a restaurant. I do stuff with uh, lumber, all all these things. Um, But Paul says in Romans 1 through 11, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. That's the thing that's most important. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Again, what are we believing? We're believing that Christ came, Christ took our place, and that we are now in Christ, meaning that it's important about who we are in Christ. Uh, Romans 6, 17 through 18. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So again, chapters 1 through 11, what it is that we're meant to believe, that I was once a slave to sin. I was cut off from God. But now because of what Christ has done, we are now slaves of righteousness. We're this whole new thing. It's not necessarily about what it is that we do. It's about who we are. That's what he's trying to tell us through the whole beginning part of Romans. And then he gets to the therefore. Therefore, because of what Christ has done for us, because of who you now are in Christ, I want you to obey by doing these things. And none of this is because of what or who I am. Or what I do for a living. Again, it's because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. I am a new creation in Christ. The kingdom of God is within me. I am seated in heavenly places with Jesus. So this last Wednesday, the Bible study at our house, we were going through Philippians and we were talking about this being seated with Christ in these heavenly places. And, you know, sometimes it's a funny thought. Like, okay, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places right now. And so I thought about, like, how many people like going to the DMV? Nobody, right? And you're sitting there, but you're a believer in Christ. And so I was thinking, like, somehow, somehow I am seated with Christ in heavenly places right now. But we are. 
because of who we are in him. It's not necessarily where we're at or what we do. We are in him. We are new creations in Christ. We've been transformed. Again, it's not about what we do. It's about who we are. Christ is in me. The kingdom of God is within me. I think one of the things that we tend to do, especially in the West, in Western theology, we tend to divide the world into uh, sacred and secular spaces. Certain things are sacred and certain things are secular. Surely the DMV is secular, right? We're like, yeah, that place is not sacred. But we tend to do this, that there are sacred spaces and that there are secular spaces. But that's not what the New Testament teaches. That's something that we believe. Um, another example, I guess, to break it down would be this, is that this is how dualistic, and that's what it called dualistic spirituality teaches, is that God's interaction with people, see, we're the church, that's you and I, uh, that's where we interact with God. So worship, prayer, and all of those things that are what we would consider holy. Whereas the church then interacts with the world, uh, the individual in the church's interaction with the world, work, play, mission, evangelism. And so God's not necessarily touching the world part. He does that through the church, but that's not correct. The way that it should be is that Jesus is Lord of all and non-dualistic spirituality, that this unifying our lives under the one God, that God is in the midst of the world and he's doing things and that he's sanctifying the everyday. This idea of incarnational church, that God came down in the form of a man in Jesus, that he incarnated himself and that we are incarnate within the world, this missional idea. And so when we think about this sacred space and secular space, again, it's not necessarily something that the New Testament teaches, but we think along these lines. And so when we think about our vocations and who we are and how we live out our faith in the world, oftentimes we think like, well, my job's kind of a waste of time because I'm not necessarily doing what I should be doing. A dishwasher would be secular. A preacher is certainly sacred. But that's not what the New Testament teaches. It's not what we do that makes something sacred. It's who you are that makes something sacred. Eric Baldwin. Won't raise your hand. Eric Baldwin is the administrator of the church. Give him a round of applause. <laughs> Sounds like a horrible job to me. So thank you, Eric. No, he's, he, uh, he's fantastic. Believe you and me, we are all very thankful that Eric Baldwin is here. Um, so he's an administrator. Is his work sacred or not? Is it just sacred because he works at a church? Right? So we think about that. We're like, all right, Eric's the administrator of the church. Surely it's sacred work because he does that work for the church. What if Eric was an administrator, just some business? Would it be sacred or would it be secular? But the kingdom of God is within him. And again, it's not about what it is that we do. I think a great example of this that I think we went through the book of Daniel. And Daniel is just a fantastic example of, of just a very interesting person. Daniel, Daniel was an administrator. That's what he did. 
like numbers and stuff and doing all of these things, you know, bookkeeping and all of this. He was faithful. He was faithful to God. He prayed. He did all these things. And so we think about, like, it's not necessarily what it is that you do, because administration is not necessarily like some sacred act, but Daniel was a sacred man. God is the thing that makes him sacred, not necessarily what it is that he, even though he stands before, you know, the lions and all these things. I mean, honestly, Daniel's really fascinating because he's not this huge heroic person, even though he does these amazing things that end up in Sunday school, you know, and in our lives, like, wow, he really just said yes to God and was just faithful. Very faithful. So, how is teaching, banking, Caltrans, nursing, sales, teaching, parenting, etc., a way in which I worship him, a way in which I obey? Because the majority of us spend our time doing regular work, right? I mean, that's the question that I'm trying to answer. How do I, so I'm out there working in the woods, how is this worship to God? How is this me obeying? But it, it is. Again, it's not what I do that makes something sacred. It's, it's who I am. Um, how many people muted their phone before service? All right, here we go. <laughs> just joking, just joking. Um, how many of you have read this book? How many people have heard of Brother Lawrence? I mean, Brother Lawrence, man, this guy, so cool. This is one of the coolest books. I really recommend this book, obviously. I mean, Brother Lawrence is just such a weird and wonderful and interesting Man, and just such an interesting story. Um, so practicing the presence of God. So Brother Lawrence was a monk. He was known for being really weird. He was known for, um, some people thought he had an intellectual disability. Uh, he, he was just this funky guy. And so he served in, in war. Uh, so he was a veteran in the 30-year war. He was captured and then joined a monastery. And so... Um, what did Brother Lawrence do in the monastery? Again, it's, it's not what you do that makes your life sacred or not. It's who you are that makes what you do sacred. Uh, Brother Lawrence was the dishwasher. That's what he did. And, and, and he also made sandals. Uh, obviously, there's no pictures of him. Um, but it was also rumored that he went around the monastery and he had no shoes. And so he would literally serve the other brothers and other people by making shoes for them. And that's, that's what he did. So he was a dishwasher, and then he, he made sandals. But that's not all um, that he did. He wasn't some great speaker, evangelist, or leader. Um, Brother Lawrence was known for just always having the presence of God surround him. There was just something about Brother Lawrence that made people very, very attracted to him. And it was just this peace. It was this understanding. It was this relationship that he had with God. And people would come from far and wide just to see this guy who was washing dishes. People would come and just seek him out. 
He didn't do anything vocationally that was amazing. Again, oftentimes we like to like lift up people who are phenomenal or the Billy Grahams of the world or all these people. Um, but here's Brother Lawrence, and he's literally a dishwasher. But the presence of God was so thick around Brother Lawrence that people, again, would come from far and wide just to see him. But again, it's not what you do that makes you sacred. It's who you are. So here are some quotes um, from Brother Lawrence that I thought was really cool. Lift up your hearts to him. Sometimes, even at your meals and when you are in company, the least little remembrance will always be acceptable to him. You need not cry very loud. He is nearer to us than we are aware. So again, this practicing the presence of God, just knowing that God is present. When? Now. Where? Everywhere. No matter what it is that I'm doing, whether I'm making shoes or I'm doing some, I'm cleaning toilets, that God is always, always with us. And just speaking with him regularly like he was my friend. I have abandoned all particular forms of devotion, all prayer techniques. My only prayer practice is attention. I carry on a silent and secret conversation with God that fills me with overwhelming joy. I mean, how many times have you heard someone say, I've abandoned all particular forms of devotion, all prayer techniques? That's pretty cool. All he does is just simply talk with God regularly in those small spaces, those spaces that you think are meaningless during your day. Where you're like, there can surely be no redeemable part of what it is that I'm doing right now, whether it's a DMV or whatever it is that you're doing. The time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great a tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. So I think in many ways, you know, Brother Lawrence, which is very challenging to me, um, calls into question what it means to worship. Because on the one hand, when we think about worship, we think about, you know, that. My hands are raised, I'm listening to music. But Brother Lawrence says that really it's about having this conversational experience and relationship with God in such a way that everything I do is worship whether it's cleaning toilets or preaching a sermon or whatever it is, or look, right, I could be a welder and I can weld as worship. I can be a dishwasher. I can be a father. And I can do all of these things as worship unto Christ. Because again, it's not about what I do, but it's about who I am. That the kingdom of God is inside of me. And Daniel, when we go back to Daniel, why was Daniel, why did the, you know, the people that he's working for love him? They loved him because the work that he did was so amazing. He was excellent. Why not be the best welder? Why not be the best dishwasher? Right? I assume we're all trying to be the best parents that we can be. Right? These things are worship. This is what we give Christ. I want to do my best work for you. I'm doing it for you. I'm not necessarily doing it for my employers. I, I just want to honor you with everything that I have because in chapters 1 through 11 in Romans, you've done so much for me. He's given me something I can never repay. 
ever. He's given me a new life. I'm now in him. I will never experience death. I am a new creation in Christ. I think there's also a lie that I have to be great to do this stuff, like I have to be super talented or any of these things. I think one of the things that, you know, if we really knew that when you're in Christ, you really are that amazing. Like you are phenomenal. Each and every person in this room, you are phenomenal. You are created in the image of God that God wanted you, one, and that two, that being in Christ, we are new creations. We are amazing. And God continues to try and assure you of who you are in him. And I also believe that the devil wants to, uh, for you to be confused about who you are in Christ. God keeps telling you, like, man, you're amazing. You are phenomenal. You are in me. I am in you. You are seated in heavenly realms. Even if you're at the DMV or washing dishes or all of these things, you're phenomenal. But I do believe that the devil wants you to be confused about who you are in Christ. Last quote, and I thought this one was pretty. This is the funniest of them all. It is not necessary... Uh, to have great things to do. I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. That's why Brother Lawrence is so funny. Because I think in many ways, including myself, we're looking for these big, meaningful experiences in our lives to validate the fact that we are believers in Christ. And that his love for me, if it's great, will result in great things. I think that's more of like a Western myth than it is actually good New Testament theology. Brother Lawrence worshipped God by turning an omelet in the pan. I think we keep looking for these big opportunities and we're missing these small, obvious things that God is doing in our lives. I think as Westerners, we really get, we buy into the whole celebrity, I have to do big things, when in fact, I don't know that God's, maybe he is asking you to do that, but for most of us, it's just the regular day-to-day stuff. That is for sure. Uh, I'm going to read this last. I'm going to read chapter 12, 1 through 2. But it's going to be in the message translation. Uh, the message translation sometimes is just so helpful. Um, again, this is Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping you're eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Take your everyday life, 
place it before Christ. And that's, in part, how we obey him. Again, just by being you. Simple things. Day-to-day life. It doesn't have to be these phenomenal things. You're like, if I'm going to wash dishes, I'm going to be the best dishwasher ever. If I'm going to clean toilets, these toilets are going to sparkle like no other. Right? If I'm going to preach a sermon, then I'll do my best to not put you to sleep too quickly. Right? Whatever it is that I do, I want to do as worship unto Christ. Big thing, small thing. Again, like Daniel, I just want to be faithful. And I want to be excellent at what it is that I do because I want to honor God with what he has given me, which is new life, something I didn't deserve and something I still don't deserve. And I want to honor him with this new life that he's given me. Amen? All right, so we're going to do communion. Uh, The way that we do this is uh, if you are a follower of Jesus or if you would like to start following Jesus today, the communion table is open to you. Um, The cracker represents his body, which was broken for us. (laughs) The cracker represents his body that was broken for us. And the wine represents his blood that was poured out for us. And so if you're going to come down and take communion, we just come down the center aisle like this. You take a piece of the cracker and you dip it into the wine and then you'll go around like this so we have a simple flow like that. Again, if you're a follower of Christ or if you would like to start following Jesus today, uh, then you can come down and take communion. So if you want to take communion, please come on down.
Jesus, we thank you that you came down and saved us, that you have given us new life, that you are inside of us and that we are in you. You accomplished what we could not. You make us righteous. You make us whole. You make us holy. Help us to see you as you are. And help us to know who we are in you. Thank you for your body and your blood. Let's partake. Why don't we stand? We'd love to pray for you at the end of the service. There'll be people down here that would love to just pray with you, lay hands on you, uh, maybe have a prophetic word for you. The New Testament talks about people laying hands on one another and praying for them. Maybe you're wrestling with how how do I fit into God's plan or how does my vocation work within God's plan or whatever else you might be wrestling with, we would love the opportunity to pray for you. If not, I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing and then then you can go on with the rest of your day. Well, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we're able to gather as your church. We thank you for brothers and sisters to be able to gather with and journey with. We ask that you would grow us closer together and you would grow us closer together with you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us that you would impart to us the gifts that you have for us, that we would be able to know who we are in you, and that we would be able to live out your kingdom, the kingdom of God in a world that's desperately seeking for answers. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to pray for anything, please come on up.